Welcome to the Age of Organizational Effectiveness. This is a podcast that explores stories about organizations and their performance. I'm your host, Charles Chandler. This week we're up to episode number 83, and I'm calling it The Organization Whisperer. And I'm joined again by a special guest this week. So let's get right into it. And I'm joined now by David Childs. David is the CEO of a performance management consulting firm called Fit for Service. And he's also the author of a book called The Organization Whisperer, 12 Core Actions That Ripple Excellence Through Your Organization. Good morning, David. Good morning, sir. How are you? I am well, very well. You know, I wanted to get you on the podcast because I ran across your book and uh, thought it would uh, add a lot to our discussions here on the podcast. Tell us a little bit about why you wanted to write this book, The Organization Whisperer. I think my my motivation was really rooted in my career experiences. First of all, through my career, I just uh, personally, as a manager and a leader, was constantly looking for ways to uh, to do things better, to improve my organization, to improve our performance. Uh, to improve our quality of service, et cetera. And so I started uh, my own personal journey of uh, studying performance improvements organizations like Baldridge and Lean and Kaizen and whatever. And then also uh, the most successful organizations, the Disney's, the Southwest Airlines and so forth, and what those uh, performance processes uh, suggested be done, and then also what the most successful organizations actually did and, and approaches that they took and things that they did that were different from uh, mediocre organizations. So what were the things that, that made the difference? And then I, I started implementing those in my own organizations. I sort of turned my own organizations into uh, laboratories of experimentation on how do you really in a real organization on a day-to-day basis implement processes and specific actions that create the greatest impact on the performance of the organization with the least amount of time and energy and uh, resource investment in, 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 in performing those actions. And over the course of, uh, you know, a 30-year career, I, I continually sort of fine-tuned that and continually began sort of boiling down the core steps, the core specific actions in an organization that have the greatest beneficial impact to performance, or as I sometimes say, the 20% of sweat investment that creates the 80% of, of successful outcomes. And then because my organizations actually started being successful, then I started getting uh, invited to come present at, at some national conferences and asked to come uh, share with others some of the things that we were doing. And not only in sitting at these conferences and in listening to the other presentations and the content of the other presentations that I was listening to myself, but then also the, uh, the reviews of the conference by the participants after the conference was over, 
I kept thinking in my own mind from what I was seeing and listening to by other presenters, and then also based upon the feedback from participants at the conferences, that uh, my presentations were, were very well received and very highly regarded because as people would, would write down on their feedback, they would say, uh, this was the only presentation that actually really told me how specifically to do some of these things. Most of the other presentations would be philosophy and theory and, and so forth and so forth. And, you know, it would be things like, you should hire quality people. Well, okay, how do you, how do, you do that? And uh, during my 30 years of real world experience and in interviewing, we were constantly fine tuning and tweaking our specific interview questions and what they focused on, what they targeted on the basis of our uh, responses in the interviews and the, the success that we did or didn't have over the years in hiring the right person or not, uh, we were increasingly able to boil down. There's a, there's a, you know, a handful of, of questions that really do successfully strike at the heart of the qualities that you're looking for in staff and, and really do elicit the responses that give you some insight into that. That's just one example. So in the conferences, uh, these were the responses that I was getting about the appreciation in sharing the actual specifics of actions that people should be taking. And uh, so eventually, over the course of time, I just finally decided, well, I, I just need to put all of this in a book so that it is uh, so that it can be shared with people. Yeah. So your 12 core actions, which is the subtitle of the book, comes from your experience. Uh, much, I, th I think, of that was in the government sector. But tell us, what is an, an organization whisperer and, and what is the essence of that? An organization whisperer is someone that understands the foundational core concepts and actions that distinguish excellent organizational cultures from mediocre ones. And the organization whisperer knows the few simple specific actions that will inject that successful culture into an organization. Again, uh, as an example, you know, you, uh, you go visit an organization and they may say to you, we can't find, uh, we can't find the right people. We can't find the type of people that, that we really want in this organization. And so the organization whisperer will immediately say, well, how much face time do you spend in either reading through uh, resumes and applications yourself or in face-to-face uh, -face interviews? And a lot of times the answer is none. A lot of times the answer is, oh, well, we have some software program, uh, look at buzzwords and uh, pick out our final list of candidates for us. And uh, so the organization whisperer, you know, can first of all make the suggestion, well, you need to be doing this yourself. Hiring and training needs to be uh, hands-on, person-to-person, rather than letting some computer make these decisions for you. Or uh, an organization whisperer can come into an organization and say, uh, and, and the, the company will say, well, we have these three primary uh, issues and concerns uh, these are our. These are where we think we are not really uh, performing as well as we could, 
and the organization whisperer will say, well, what are your measures? What are, what are, your, what are your performance measures on that that documentably tell you and verify where you are, either for good or for bad? And a lot of times, either the organization doesn't have any measures, uh, they're just sort of, they just sort of have their own perceptions, uh, or if they do produce some measures, either it's discovered that nobody ever on a weekly or monthly basis ever really looks at them, or it is discovered that those measures do not uh, really or as thoroughly measure what the organization's issue is as they could, that those measures could be uh, tweaked and fine-tuned and improved. So those are the those are the kinds of core targets that organization whisperers know to look at and to focus on and uh, to very quickly conduct a uh, conduct basically a quick diagnostic of an organization and find out if it already is or is not doing some very core simple things that that successful organizations do. Yeah, as I was reading the book and, and I liked uh, what I was reading, the organization whispers seem to be a lot about mindset of management and it's about servant leadership. Uh, would you say that's uh, one of the core ideas of the book? Is what is what is the most important thing we should take away? That that is one. I would say that uh, I would say that one of the core concepts is that there needs to be more, and, and you can call it a lot of things. It goes by the name of servant leadership. It goes by the name of, of uh, uh, you know, bottom-up leadership or leading from behind or whatever the case may be. There's a lot of uh, buzz names. But the bottom line is, is that successful, the most successful organizations place a high priority on, uh, on human and personal interaction in a positive way. As I just said a minute ago, I brought up the example of in hiring. There's a lot of organizations today that they let computers uh, hire for them rather than doing it uh, personally themselves. So servant leadership, bottom-up leadership, whatever, believes very much that there needs to be a lot of human interaction, positive human interaction, that uh, there needs to be a team uh, environment. Uh, a phrase that I use is a purposeful family. And, and that means that uh, the successful organizations, first of all, are a family. Everybody enjoys being together. Everybody enjoys coming to work every day. It's almost like coming to work every day is like a family reunion or something. So they have a, a positive, constructive personal atmosphere and then combined with with the family is a purpose and that purpose needs to be uh, something that is noble and honorable that that everybody can buy into it has to be something uh, it has to be something bigger and more ennobling than uh, I hope I don't get fired today or I hope I get a bonus this month. It, it needs to be something that is more in the spirit of, of improving society, of giving to others, of, of something that, that provides a personal sense um, that each member of the organization is contributing to some bigger cause. And you find that in the successful organizations. Basically, that needs uh, higher motivation, 
higher motivation, higher excitement, higher productivity. If you enjoy your atmosphere, if you enjoy the people you're working with, and uh, if you feel uh, fulfilled by the things that you are accomplishing, then uh, then you uh, you tend to be more motivated about uh, being more invested in, in succeeding. Would that be kind of problems we get into where we have downsizing and right-sizing and all these things where the numbers drive what happens to the people, basically. And when we get into that sort of a mentality, we destroy the social capital that was built over time by, by working as a family. Tell us, um, is this about taking away the fear? Oh, absolutely. Uh, because as I, uh, as I said, it's about uh, creating an atmosphere in which people um, have a desire just to come to work every day. They're excited about coming in every day. And they are there to, first of all, come see friends, to come be a part of a positive, constructive, innovative environment. And then secondly, to feel like on that given day, they are going to contribute to and they're going to step, take a step forward uh, toward making a contribution to their customers and to society as a whole. And uh, their whole mindset in coming to work is excitement about the positive things that are going to happen that day rather than being uh, fearful as you are coming into work that you're going to get downsized or that you're going to get chewed out or that you're going to get disciplined or if not that simply just being bored with uh, sitting at a humdrum job uh, that you're bored with and that you 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 know you don't have any real uh, sense that you are actually contributing much of anything except filling out the same hundred forms that you filled out yesterday. And so that's at the very core of it is is creating that positive uh, that positive environment. Yeah, I'm reminded of the story of a couple of masons that were uh, working, and uh, someone came asked them what they were doing. One said uh, he was building a wall. The other said he was building a cathedral. And so it's a question of you know thinking about what you're doing, not just showing up for the paycheck or uh, yeah. the, the momentary reward, but thinking of the longer-term con- contribution to society. What, what kinds of problems are you seeing out there in organizations that you work with? I will, uh, I, before I answer that one, I'll, I'll just share a story that I use about I- exactly the same point that you just made about, uh, uh, you know, creating, as I said, purpose uh, or value in people's jobs um, I worked one time with a, um, a repair uh, organization that did like car repairs, and in particular, uh, their specialty was in replacing uh, tires. And uh, they were having a problem with quality of performance. Uh, they were having situations in which, you know, the, the staff was um, – uh, not doing a good enough job of, of putting new tires on or of maybe if they were just patching a tire, people would drive off the lot and a few days later the same area would go flat again or they would replace a tire and they wouldn't tighten the nuts and bolts enough and people would be driving down the highway at 70 miles an hour and, and a, a tire would come off and they would have an accident or whatever and this, uh, this uh, repair company actually had a, a a few lawsuits from from uh, poor performance. So I, I went in and I said, well, you know, you should start making staff aware uh, that they are not changing a tire 
a hundred times a day. They are they are saving lives. That uh, that their quality of what they do impacts other people's lives. And I said, you know, you might even say to your staff to tell your staff that they should bring in a picture of uh, people that are important to them, uh, whether it's their parents, it's their wife and kids, it's their girlfriend, whatever, uh, they should bring in pictures of their loved ones and put them up in their work bay to remind them that that next vehicle that they're going to be working on, that vehicle is their loved one's vehicle. And they need to work on that vehicle as if they are doing a repair job for their own family. And so that kind of thing is what injects uh, the sense of the sense of purpose and value and importance in uh, in what everybody does. Yeah, I like that. What kinds of problems are you seeing out there in the organizations you're working with? Uh, we, we've touched on a couple of kinds of issues, but what else are you seeing? Well, um, and let me let me, uh, let me let me introduce what I'm going to say here by uh, by adding a little something to a comment that you made earlier. All of my personal uh, management of organizations has been in the government sector. So my actual day-to-day management experience is in government. But I have also, over the years, either presented at conferences that involved uh, nonprofits and or involved uh, private uh, corporations and companies. And I have also done a little bit of consulting with nonprofits and with uh, private organizations and companies. And I have a, uh, I, I have a comfort level uh, from those experiences that the, the things that are in this book, the things that are in this book work for any organization. And in fact, you know, uh, that's a lot of what I have in this book, as I said, goes back to when I was reading books myself about, you know, uh, what do the successful private companies do differently than the not so successful private companies and or my own consulting experiences. And uh, so I do have a comfort level that uh, the things that I'm discussing will work. Uh, in any organizational setting. It, it, it's really been interesting to me that it seems like as you uh, interact with organizations from different cultures, we know that around the world, you know, and all of us uh, have uh, read about cultural diversity and, and how different cultures uh, take different approaches to different, to different things and how different cultures uh, see a lot of things in different ways. And one of those things is uh, that there are cultures that are very much uh, me, uh, me uh, personally focused cultures that they place a high emphasis uh, or in, individuals in those cultures uh, place a high emphasis on, on themselves, on their personal lives, on their personal uh, success. And we talk about uh, we talk about getting ahead. We talk about the rat race. Uh, we talk about socioeconomic status, uh, those kinds of things. 
you know, in, 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 in this country in particular and in, in a lot of the Western world, uh, there's, even an inf- there's even an emphasis in our governmental philosophies about personal and individual rights and liberties, uh, the right to say whatever we want, the right to, uh, you know, to do whatever. And so there's a foundation in a lot of different cultures that is rooted in the importance uh, of me, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but a lot of focus on individual uh, life. There are other cultures in the world that just their culture is much more is much more communal, naturally, and they have uh, much less of a focus on the individual and uh, much more of a focus on uh, their extended family uh, and or uh, their 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 clan, if you will, or their province. And uh, there is much more of a there is much more of a just a natural inclination to uh, to focus on what's good uh, for a larger group uh, than than just your personal self. Separately from that, it has been my experience that many of the societies that have more of a uh, of a me focus and focus on the individual and benefit for the individual. Those tend to be more of the cultures that have uh, much higher uh, training and education uh, in uh, professional management practices in Baldridge, in Lean, in Kaizen, in you know uh, performance measurement, in uh, process analysis, those kinds of things, and so they are much more knowledgeable about and are much more. Uh, inclined to adopt modern performance practices. Whereas on the other hand, in a lot of the cultures that are more of a we culture, they may not have quite as sophisticated of, uh, of professional training in process improvement, performance measures, those kinds of things. So I have noticed that organizations should have both. They should have both the uh, the communal spirit of what's good for everybody, what's in it for everybody. As my buzz phrase, a purposeful family says, there should be a focus on the family, not just on me. There should be a focus on uh, the other people, uh, the other staff in the organization, the customers, uh, society as a whole. There should be more of a communal spirit. And that's kind of sometimes somewhat missing in me cultures. Uh, and then in the we cultures, uh, there, there's a little, there, there's a lot of focus on what's good for the community, but there is not as much professional training in uh, what are some of the tools and some of the materials that can actually help you accomplish that more successfully. Yeah, I guess the Japanese society would be one of those that you would be contrasting perhaps with um, American culture, which was more focused on me. Um, and I, I do take your point, and I think there is a theme in the management literature about especially total quality management and things like that, about teamwork and working together and thinking of us as a family unit. I, I think that's what you're trying to get at, if, if I'm reading you right. Yes, sir. So what kind of uh, final thoughts would you like to leave our listeners with, uh, things we haven't talked about, but that would kind of close out our discussion on this? 
Um, I think the last thing that I would like to uh, include that um, maybe from my previous comments uh, got left out or did not get adequately emphasized, we, we've talked about uh, that organizations need to prioritize creating more of a positive family, communal, teamwork approach. Uh, they also need to have a, uh, a noble and inspiring uh, purpose so that people feel like they are making a, a contribution to customers, to society as a whole. And we also talk some about using quality management uh, concepts and ideas. What I think got missed a little bit, and this is another, this is another key element of being an organization whisperer, is I think that there's also been a problem when you start talking about what are the specific practices of, uh, of performance management, of professional quality management, of transformational leadership, whatever you want to call it. When you start talking about the specifics of that, uh, I think both in, uh, in the training of people, whether they're being trained in, in business schools, management schools, public administration schools, whether it's consultants uh, with, you know, Baldridge or Lean or Kaizen, whether it is software programs that are being developed. What I see is that these things, all of these, whether it's the performance improvement approaches, whether it's the software, whether it's what is being taught, in the academic institutions, the, the basic concepts and principles are presented as being uh, a little bit complicated. Uh, they're, they're presented as being complicated. They're being uh, presented as difficult to understand, difficult to implement, a lot of investment of resources and staff. And uh, I think that makes a lot of people sort of throw up their hands and go, oh, this is too complicated, I can't do this, or I don't want to do this, or I don't have the resources and the staff to do it, or we're not professionally trained enough to do it. And uh, the bottom line is, is that there really are just a handful in my book, I mentioned 12, but there really are, you know, just a few core and also very simple actions that can be taken that actually strike at and really sort of kickstart a bigger ripple effect of a of more of a of a cult change. Like you know, in my in my book, I say uh, you you can throw one pebble in a lake, and that one pebble creates a lot of ripples. And that's what these actions are. These actions are one pebble that if you inject that pebble into a whole organization, that one pebble successfully creates a lot of ripples. And so there, there are quick, easy, simple, they don't take a lot of time and they don't take a lot of resource investment ways that you can inject a great deal of uh, culture change in an organization that will create these effects. It will create more of a family. It will create a, uh, an inspiring vision for the family. And then it will also improve and streamline the specific operational processes and functions of the organization to help it accomplish those things more efficiently. All three of those things can be done quickly 
and easily and simply. And I think that's the, f- the fourth point um, that, uh, that needs to be made. Yeah, I like your effort to boil it down to the simple things. Uh, certainly management has been portrayed as a, as a complicated discipline. And I think you're right to point out that uh, it can be simplified and there's, there's key actions that need to be taken to get everybody on the same page and working in the right direction. It's been great having you with us today. Uh, Where can people go to find out more about you and your book, as well as uh, other things that you might be offering? Uh, Well, they can uh, go to the website. The website is theorganizationwhisperer.com. And uh, on the website, it's got a, a lot of information there. It also has sort of a a, a diagnostic. I talked early in this conversation about organization whisperers are able to to very quickly uh, ask some core insightful questions uh, that give a quick insight into where an organization is. That's on the website for free. Uh, You don't have to pay for it or anything. So uh, you could do a diagnostic of your own organization. So there's a lot of services on the website that are for free. And uh, then there is a contact page. And on that contact page, it's got my uh, my personal contacts. It's got my uh, email and my mailing address. And so if someone were uh, to want to follow up with me with a, a follow-up question or, or whatever uh, that I could help with, then uh, they can they can reach me from the contact page on the website. Well, very good. Thanks very much for being with us today, David. It's been great to have you. And that's it for this episode. Join us again next time when we'll again explore stories about organizations and their performance. In the meantime, you can explore all of our podcasts at our website, ageofoe.com. And that's all for now. So long.